This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. When the nights get cold and the lights go out, the sun is gone behind the clouds, and you feel lost, and I'll reach out to guide you home with my lighthouse. Welcome to Lighthouse of Hope. I'm your host, Michael Hempseed. I'm so glad you're joining us today. And a happy new year to everyone for 2022. On this show, I want to look at the concept of resilience. I want to look at how resilience may have changed over the years, some examples of historical resilience, and then I want to look at things that you can do to build your own resilience. However, before I get to that, I just want to take a couple of moments to look at the latest Omnicron outbreak in New Zealand and the red light traffic setting and the impact that's having on a number of people. So first of all, I want to acknowledge that yes, this can be really scary for people and it can be really upsetting. It's also important to know, I think there's a feeling of not this again. Uh, A lot of us feel that at the end of last year, we were just coming out of this uh, with mostly the Delta outbreak over with high vaccination rates. It was looking as though we were heading out of this and then many people feel we're back to square one again. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, a bit anxious, I've got a couple of things to um, possibly help you get through this. So one of the things to really consider is that in the past two years, New Zealand has done fairly well with this. Uh, There's been a few exceptions, but by and large, we've managed to handle this pretty well. One example where people are starting to show some signs of worry and panic is the supply chain. And there's a couple of things to take note of. First of all, in the last two years, we haven't had major supply chain problems in New Zealand. Now, yes, there's been times when maybe the exact product that you want isn't there, but overall, we haven't had tens or hundreds of thousands of people that have starved to death. It is also important to know that we live in one of the largest food-producing nations per head of population. So it's important to know that uh, even if things do go wrong, I think we're going to be okay. And the other thing to note is that we have really good social services in this country. So if you do find you're living on your own, you have to self-isolate and you can't go out to get food, um, there's groups like the Salvation Army, there's St. Vincent de Paul, there's the City Missions that can provide you with food. So I think many people were quite shocked uh, that we went to the red traffic light setting. And it's normal to maybe be a bit apprehensive. It's normal to worry about this somewhat. But if you are the sort of person that's prone to worrying, try and tell yourself that actually in the past we have been okay. And one of the things that could be quite helpful to do is think, in the last two years, what were your biggest worries, your biggest fears, and your biggest concerns? And sometimes if you write those down, you might actually see that most of the things that we worried about, most of the things that we thought were going to be really bad, didn't actually happen. So sometimes when you remember things like that, it can make difficult situations far easier to manage and far easier to cope with. 
it is difficult to um, sometimes put these worries aside. You know, it is easy to know logically, well, yes, we're probably going to be okay, but sometimes people still can worry. So for the rest of the show, I want to look at this concept of resilience. Now, this is a word that's thrown around quite a lot. I just want to give you a bit of an insight into where the term resilience came from. It's not a psychological term, it's actually an engineering term. And the concept of a structure that is resilient is that it can withstand, um, say, hurricanes, it can withstand lots of problems. And so when engineers design buildings, they really think about resilience. So let's say we have a three-story building. We expect it to be able to hold a load of a thousand tons. But when engineers design buildings, they don't just say, well, let's hope that um, the design limits that we think are going to be placed on it will um, come on board. They plan for eventualities, they plan for other uses for the building. And so if they want the building to be able to carry a load of, say, a thousand tons, they build it to withstand two or three thousand tons. So they put lots of extra capacity in there. And then that way, if there are strong winds, that way, even if part of the building is damaged, they design things not to collapse. And so that sense of res that word resilience is really where um, the term psychological resilience comes from. And the concept of psychological resilience is that if things go wrong, we can bounce back from them. I'm quite interested in the way that people view resilience today. I've had quite a lot of conversations with people in the last few months about this. I just want to take a couple of moments to look at some examples of resilience from the past. So this is something that I'm very interested in. What interested in? What did resilience look like even 40, 50 or 60 years ago? Realistically, that wasn't that long ago. And yet I think we see much stronger examples of resilience back then. First of all, I have found out that many 7, 8, 9 and older children would take their bikes on a Saturday morning. They might leave the house at 7 a.m., and they would come back around 7 or 8 o'clock at night. This was before they had cell phones, so their parents couldn't check up on them every five minutes. They would be gone the whole day. This was not a rare occurrence. Many people that I have spoken to said that they did this pretty much every weekend, and maybe most days of the school holidays. I want you to think about a large number of people today, and think whether they would be able to do that. Another interesting example of resilience that I came across from the past was that many, again, seven, eight, nine and older children would go away camping by themselves. They would not have any adult supervision. They would uh, walk or bike or however they got there. They'd set up the tents themselves. They'd cater for themselves. They wouldn't have adults helping with them. And this was very young children. I mean, can you imagine today if there was a group that said, we're going to let our seven-year-old children go off for a week in the forest to go camping? I think we'd ask a lot of questions about those parents and say, oh, they must be doing something wrong. And yet, from what I can tell, probably up until the early 1980s, this was relatively common. Now, I don't mean that every single family did this, 
but this seemed to be something that was quite normal. And as far as I can tell, um, most people survived this really well. If they got lost, if they went to the wrong place, if they didn't have enough food that they planned for, they just dealt with us. They considered this part of life. Another interesting example that someone told me about, I think this was in the early 70s in Southland, uh, there was a school trip that was uh, caught in a snowstorm and they were two weeks late back. I want you to imagine if that happened today. If there was a school trip that went somewhere and because of maybe poor planning or something like that, what would happen? Well, surely it would be in the news, uh, there'd be endless complaints to the school board, there'd be calls for the teachers that planned this to resign, there'd be a work safe investigation into endangering children. Yet when this happened in the early 1970s, apparently it was considered part of life. It was such a non-event, as far as I'm aware, it didn't make the papers, the parents didn't seem overly concerned when the children came home, the parents didn't rush to greet them or anything like that. They just thought this was a normal part of life. And so what I've been thinking about a lot lately is that today we often get upset about what are normal parts of life. We often get upset when really small things go wrong. I've been trying to learn a lot about what life was like after World War II. And, you know, those people that lived after World War II, particularly those uh, living in parts of England and especially London, they had huge problems. Many of their homes had been destroyed, many of them have lost significant families of their, um, significant members of their immediate family, their extended family, lots of friends. And most people seem to find a way to push forward with this. When I ask people which groups do you think have the lowest resilience, um, the answer that I often get is teenage girls. And that certainly is one group. But I think it's really important to know that there are many groups in society that have low resilience. As far as I can tell, there's not much difference between men and women. And the really surprising thing to find is that it's not only young people. There seem to be a really large group of people, probably between 35 and about 55, that also seem to show low resilience. There was a principal of a school that I was speaking to with roughly 1,000 students and roughly 700 families, and he thought that probably something like 60% of his time was taken up with really 40 or 50 um, parents they were always complaining about things, always complaining that their children weren't achieving enough. Bear in mind, many of these children were achieving very well, but the parents weren't happy with this, they weren't happy with the way the curriculum was done, and this was complaint after complaint. And really, these are the normal parts of life. And so I think one of the big myths around low resilience is that it's just young people there's lots of people across all ages that have low resilience. It's important to understand that I think the world we're living in at the moment is not the world of the past. And the low resilience that we have is not actually normal. Because I think resilience is supposed to be inbuilt into human beings. 
let us think about the overwhelming majority of human history. It was a very scary and often very traumatic way of life. Until relatively recently, we lived in caves, we could be attacked by lions, tigers, all sorts of wild animals, food was scarce, um, there were lots of difficulties, we've come out of several ice ages. Life was not easy. Today, if we want to eat something, we can go down to the supermarket and get some food. Until relatively recently in human history, that was not something that happened. If we wanted to eat something, we had to go out and kill it. We had to hunt it. We had to find berries on a tree. And so if you think about the world that many people lived in in the past, it was a really difficult world. And as far as we can tell, most people had high resilience. And some of those examples that I mentioned earlier, right up until the 1980s, we still seem to see examples of high resilience. And now we will listen to the song Flight Song by Rachel Platten. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word can make a heart open I might only have one match But I can make an explosion And all those things I didn't say
Maybe some of my listeners that say, well, instead of criticizing this, we should, you know, support people and encourage them. I actually have a very different view of that. I think we need to call this out for what it is. If we pat everyone on the back and say, well done, and we give certificates of participation for every little thing, they're not actually going to learn. We live in this world, and I think some people think this low resilience that we live in is the norm. And yet I think for the overwhelming majority of human history, this is not normal. This is not the way we live. Now, some people say, well, yes, maybe uh, in the past we had low resilience, so high resilience, maybe now we have low resilience. Does it really matter? Well, as you know, this show is all about mental health, and we have unprecedented rates of mental illness in the modern world. We think something like one in four people at any one time will have clinical levels of anxiety or depression, and something like 80% of people will have this throughout their life. And this is not the way it has been for the majority of human history. One of the earliest studies we have looking at uh, trends in this was called the Epidemiological Catchment Area Study. It's a bit of a mouthful. But basically, the researchers found that people that were born in 1905 had about a 1% lifetime chance of having depression. That's really quite astonishing. And some people say, oh, yes, but people didn't know what it was back then. But the researchers carefully went through and they asked people. And so that suggests that actually mental illness was quite rare. And yet today, we see that it is really common. This is not just academic. This has real consequences for people's lives. A couple of other examples of low resilience is a lot of people struggle to talk to strangers on the phone or even people they know, whereas in the past, this was just considered normal. The ability to manage conflict. A lot of employers are now saying that if someone's not happy in the workplace, rather than talking to a manager about it, rather than trying to resolve it, they just quit and they don't give any explanation as to why. In the past, basic problem-solving, basic conflict management skills seem to be really quite normal. And so a lot of people today have really low resilience. And I say, we need to call this out, and we need to start making some serious changes. So one of the big questions that people will ask is, well, what caused all this? Why have things changed so much? And if I'm completely honest, I don't fully know or I don't fully understand it. One explanation that I have is the lack of free play in children. Now, I want to be clear, in order to get into the situation we are in now, there must have been many causes. But I want to take a moment to look at the concept of free play. 
in the past, children used to be able to go out by themselves. They used to go to the park by themselves. And it was thought in doing this, they learned the skills of life. And there were safe risks. I see that there was a slide in Wellington on the waterfront that was now taken down because it was deemed too risky. One of my favourite parks when I was growing up was Harrington Park here in Christchurch. It had a flying fox that was um, several metres off the ground. They had a two-storey fort. Well, because of health and safety regulations, that has been taken away. And the problem with keeping children safe in the short term is that it often means that adults don't have resilience in the long term. And I think by denying children a lot of safe risks, we've created an epidemic of mental illness and a crisis of low resilience. So people will ask, well, how do I build my resilience? I have a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, you don't read resilience by reading books. You don't learn resilience by going away for a weekend. Learning resilience takes a lot of time. And really, the best way to learn resilience is to challenge yourself and do things that you are not comfortable with or that you find difficult. So, for example, if you are the sort of person that struggles to speak on the phone, if you want to build your resilience, try and have more phone conversations with people. So maybe instead of sending someone a text message or accompany an email, try and ring them up. Now, some people will be quite scared by that. Resilience and building resilience is not easy. It does involve fear. It involves things that we find really difficult and really challenging. But you build your resilience by trying to overcome that. If you only set yourself safe challenges and do things that are easy, you're never going to build resilience. You build resilience by stepping outside of your comfort zone and doing things that are really challenging. I've been talking to people about what has helped them grow in resilience. And no one said, you know, it was a weekend away where you go away on a Friday night, you do some activities, and you come back a changed person on Sunday. The people that I've spoken to that have grown in resilience have said that it was a real process and it took a lot of time and effort. Some people find things like travelling to a different country. That involves, you know, lots of planning, often things going wrong, having to have a plan B, having to be creative. But also people said things like joining Toastmasters. Now, if you don't know what Toastmasters is, um, there's lots of groups around the country. Um, You meet with maybe 10, 15, 20 other people, and you give a short talk in front of them. Now, many people are terrified of public speaking. They think it's the worst possible thing you could do. And yet, the people that I've spoken to that have grown in resilience They may hate the idea of public speaking. They may think it's terrifying, but they force themselves to do it. And again, you don't just learn resilience, you know, by going along to one Toastmasters meeting. People say they had to stick at it for a year or even two years to try and build resilience. One of the other things I've noticed about resilient people is they're willing to put in the hard work whereas people that are not resilient expect immediate results. 
Well, I can tell you that if you're not a resilient person, <clears throat> in order to build that resilience, it is going to take time. But as I said, I think resilience is the norm. I think this is the way we're born. We're supposed to be resilient. The world is full of lots of challenges. The final point I want to make is that the outlook that people that are resilient have on life is very different to those that are not resilient. Resilient people expect challenges. They expect relationships to fall apart. They expect businesses to fail. They expect to get a bad mark on a test. They expect to get bad feedback on a job. This is considered part of life. Resilient people learn from those things. They take on that feedback and they grow. Non-resilient people are often overthrown by that. So if you are a person that feels you don't have a lot of resilience, I challenge you, put yourself in some of those difficult situations where you do get feedback, where you're not always good at things, and learn from that. It is not easy. But we desperately need more resilient as a society. I know this can be a hard thing to take on board, but if we want to address the mental health crisis, we have to help people to develop real resilience. Real resilience does not involve doing easy things and getting a pat on the back or a certificate of participation or a gold star. Real resilience involves doing difficult things, facing the challenges of life, sometimes falling off the horse, but getting up again and keep trying. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. When the nights get cold and the lights go out, the sun is gone behind the clouds, and you feel lost, and I'll reach out to guide you home.